0: Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of Eleven Twenty Two is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in.
1: All right, welcome back to the Deepen podcast with Pastor Joby Martin and Pastor Ryan Britt. Um, I heard I heard a cool testimony this week. I was talking to one of our uh, ladies from our church and she shared with me that, I mean, you said before, like maybe we talk about stuff that's for pastors or whatever, but she said that she shares this with a lot of her folks that do not come to church and who maybe would not yet walk into the church or even listen to a sermon because that has a a sort of a churchiness to it, but she says, Hey, listen to this podcast where some friends of mine are talking about the Bible and that, uh, she's gotten some great responses from that. So praise God for that. Praise God. Praise
0: God. Uh, That's very surprising because it is called the Deepen Podcast. (laughs) And my heart behind this, it's not even for everybody, man. It really isn't. It's for the, I mean, God can use whatever he wants, Mm -hmm. however he wants, and he he definitely has not asked my permission. So... But you know, the, the heart behind this is simply that we would just dig in even further and in mm-hmm. a conversational way mm-hmm. around the text that mm-hmm. we we're teaching that weekend. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I think a lot of people find it very approachable, which I
1: think is is awesome. Um well today we're talking about Philippians three, twelve to twenty-one. And uh let's dive right in here. Might as well. Let's go. Um Verses 12 and 13, Paul says, not that I've already obtained this, and I'm pressing on to make it my own. So we're going to get into this verse a little bit, but it reminded me of this phrase that I've heard a lot, that, that as Christians, we experience this reality of an already not yet. So unpack that for us, pastors, whoever wants to jump in first
0: any time you use chronological language to try to describe an eternal god mm-hmm. there will be breakdown yeah i mean that's a part of it so even the name of god supersedes time and space mm-hmm. yahweh which means to be or i am mm-hmm. that i am um oftentimes when we get into talking about heaven and yeah Eternity with God, it gets confusing mm-hmm. when verses talk about people who have fallen asleep, but on the resurrection of the last day that, you know, there's all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. <clears throat> the best way I know to explain it, man, is when you, when you try to lay eternity over chronology, there's some major language mm-hmm. barriers. All right, so we are simultaneously set free and seated past tense. Mm-hmm at the right hand of God with Christ Jesus. I mean, it makes it sound like we're on his lap because we know he sits currently mm-hmm. at the right hand and we have been seated already, done. And yet that has not in, in actuality in our current chronology happened yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it, it is already true that the enemy has been defeated and we have been set free. And yet it is not currently our day-to-day reality that the enemy has been defeated and we have been completely set free. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are simultaneously true. So, Mm -hmm. it is already and not yet. Right. Paul would say, Mm -hmm. we are
1: saved and then use the phrase also, we're being saved. Correct. And he will say things like, I want to keep on running faithfully so that I won't be put to shame in the end. Correct. Right? And so, he seems to feel like there's some kind of conditional nature to to his race that he's running. Does that speak at all to so how does somebody navigate the already not yet, but while also being secure in their place in Christ? Does that make sense? The already not yet does touch on a little bit of like, well, don't be too sure. I mean sure, yes, but don't be too prideful. You know, you wanna always have that tension in mind that, you know, nobody's above a fall. Do you know what I mean? Like Does that question make sense? How does that relate to people feeling secure in
3: Christ? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of thoughts. One is if you're in regards to surety or certainty in the effective work of Christ Mm -hmm. on the cross and the effective nature of your salvation by faith alone, then if you're asking questions about am I saved and am I not saved, it's a decent chance that those are motivated by the Spirit of God and... Are a sign of your surety. Because if you, the fact that you would care about your right standing with God says something about the nature of God's work in your life, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but I think what Paul's getting at in the first couple of verses we're looking at, 12 and 13, is what we visit all the time. It's what Pastor Joby preaches all the time. It's what we've said many times throughout the journey of Philippians. It's the identity precedes activity because he doesn't say Paul says I am pressing on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own
2: mm-hmm. and
3: so it is certain that I I do belong to him and so we've talked about this but it's like our world we live in a world where the economy of understanding if you will is that I want to understand something and then experience it so give me all the information give me all the facts give me all the the details, and then I will, I will step into that experience. But the New Testament prescription, the life of Christ does it the other way. You actually have an experience where you become in the possessive form. You belong to Christ. That experience happens to you. And then you spend the rest of your life on the earth trying to understand what has now been made true of you. And so when Paul's saying, I'm trying to make it my own, what he's saying is I'm trying to mature into, I'm trying to get my head further and deeper and more around the reality of, of what has happened to me in Christ. And so it is certain that it has happened. Mm-hmm. Your experience and understanding what is true is the the not yet. It's the growing into, it's the progressive sanctification. And mm-hmm. so I'm not sure that exactly answers, but I think grabbing on to that we are we we have experienced something at the point of justification and salvation, we surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ that is now eternally sealed and certain. And we spend the rest of our life, whether that be 10 years or 90 years, trying to understand what became effectively true about us in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately what was effectively true about us before the foundations of the world that we awoke,
0: we awoke to in that moment. You know? Yeah, John Calvin would say um, that perseverance of the saints would be evidence of salvation. Mm-hmm. And he would also go on to explain that by saying the faith that fizzles was never faith to begin with. Mm-hmm. So there is no, for me, there's no tension in the blessed assurance of my salvation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The The question, can the Christian lose his salvation? I, you've heard me say it before, it's the wrong question. The mm-hmm. true question is, can God lose one of his children? Right. Mm-hmm. The answer is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> is there some seed cast and, and, uh, People get choked out by the thorns or went to rocky soil for sure. Are there people that can show up to church twice and get excited about a thing and then move away from it for sure? Mm-hmm. But you cannot, you cannot receive the Spirit of God, and then your own self doubt or the enemy take mm-hmm. the Spirit of God away from the believer. That mm-hmm. is impossible mm-hmm. because salvation is His, not mine. Right. And the confusion work. is about work.
1: Mm-hmm. And whether we're going through a season of feeling a doubt or a, a lack of assurance or someone that we love is going through a season where it would appear that they've fallen away, we still don't get the option of writing them off. It's like, you know, keep on pressing on through prayer for that person and also pressing into God saying, God, get me through this, this season of, of wrestling. It just made me think of first or second Peter one, when he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. He's talking about all these different practices. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that a good tree bears good fruit, kind of what you said. When he's transformed you, these things will happen over time. It's not going to be like you stick those <laughs> fruits on the
0: branches and suddenly you become a different kind of a tree. That's right. That's why I got so angry at the fig tree, man, Yeah, because yeah. there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Mm-hmm. and the thing that has the leaves and claims to be a fig tree but doesn't produce figs, you get cursed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See John 15? Yeah. Anyone that doesn't bear fruit, cut them off, throw them to hell. Right? Mm-hmm. But it's because you have been detached from the vine. Mm-hmm. you know. And so there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. In fact the book I'm working on now that will come out, in, I don't know, in a couple of years or something is a phrase I've been using a lot, that you've been run over by the grace train of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, the, and what we're going to talk about is people that had these encounters with Jesus and their life was changed forever. Mm-hmm. Like there was physical evidence in their life that there had been an encounter as if you'd gotten run over by a train, there'd be a physical evidence in your life that you had an encounter with a train.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Albert Tate was preaching
3: here some time ago, and he was preaching on John 3.16. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is original to him or not, but uh, he he quoted a version of something the Apostle Paul wrote, and it lines up with where Paul's at in Philippians 3. He says, um, I am not who I want to be, but I surely am not who I was. That's right.
2: Hmm.
3: And that's the effective work of grace in your life. Over time is that man? I'm I'm not there yet, mm-hmm. and there I mean I'm not at the like. I know that there's deeper. I know that there's more, and that's what Paul's talking about. Mm-hmm. Is like the desire to deepen my relationship and my understanding mm-hmm. of the resurrected Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the, he's not saying I'm I I want to know him more, and he's saying the way that I'm going to know him more is pressing on, is sweating, is straining, is striving, is putting mm-hmm. my hand to the plow, is you know, advancing the gospel. And so it's like, but if you, it's kind of what we talked about a a couple of weeks ago, it's like, if you look back over time, like, but every day I look forward and feel like, man, I've just got so far to go and there's so much lacking. And there's so much, what I believe is God honoring want down in my guts to like, I want to taste and see the deeper, more beautiful things. And I want to experience the fullness of God and the power of God at work in my life, you know, but then I look back over time, I cannot deny
2: mm-hmm.
3: where God has brought me from and what God has brought me through and and the, the work that He's done from the inside out. Yeah. So I think that's Paul's. He's like, I oh, man, I'm I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm not who I was. Praise God. That should, you know, yeah, that should be a song.
0: I think well speaking of a song, it reminds me of uh a current theologian named Larry Fleet. Do you know him? No. He sings a song called "Where I Find God," and the chorus is like on a bar stool or an Rude, thats a boat engine for those of you that don't know. Uh, Sunday morning in a church pew, in a deer stand on a hayfield, mm-hmm. in a Chevrolet driving to Nashville. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is like God shows up in all these different areas. But in one of the choruses, he's, he's talking about where he was like bankrupt on a bar stool, drunk, and a guy puts him in a cab and pays the tab. And he says, "I didn't feel a lot. I didn't feel like I was worth saving." but he saved me anyway. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Man, that little line in that country song, every time I hear it, I was like, that's me, man. Mm -hmm. Like when I say I can't get over the gospel or when I say I hear the whispers, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: most of the time what people are talking about when they're questioning their salvation is how worthy did they feel based on the things that they have done to be worth saving. Mm -hmm. And Larry Fleet, in a great country song, says, I didn't feel like I was worth saving and he Mm -hmm. saved me anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference, there's a confusion about work when it, becomes, mm-hmm. when it comes to being a Jesus follower.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the question is all about, well, when are you talking? Mm-hmm. Are you talking about pre or post-salvation?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the difference. Yeah. There's a difference between working for and working from. Mm-hmm. And as we will see in his admonition to press on. Mm-hmm. And, and also, if you'll look in a, a bunch of other places in Pauline literature, work is required like crazy in being a Christian. Mm-hmm. So before we started recording, I told you, it is hard to be a Christian. It takes a ton of work to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. It takes none to become one. Mm-hmm. You receive a free gift to be adopted into the family of God. Mm-hmm. And then motivated, not for acceptance, not, you're not motivated for approval, you're motivated by acceptance. You're motivated by approval. Mm-hmm. You're motivated by the gospel To work your tail off for the glory of God Mm -hmm. and the sake of his kingdom. Mm -hmm. So Paul's going to say things like, Timothy, it's like being a soldier, man. You don't think you got to work to be a soldier? Mm -hmm. It's like being an athlete. He tells the Corinthians, I beat my body and make it a slave. I don't punch against the air aimlessly. Like Mm -hmm. there is work involved. He said it's like being a farmer. Nobody works harder than farmers. Mm -hmm. But the key in all of those things is that, the soldier has the, the soldier does not get to make up his commands. The athlete does not get to determine the amount of athletic ability he has been given, and the farmer can't create the seed nor make it grow. Mm-hmm. All he can do is partner with God in what God is doing. Mm-hmm. So there is tremendous amounts of work mm-hmm. post salvation
2: mm-hmm.
0: for all the right reasons, yeah. and there is there is just grace that you received a gift. You see, grace is not Mm anti-effort. Grace is anti-earning. And when we understand that distinction, then I think it helps us get out of our head and it's like, am I really saved because do I have enough fruit? Mm -hmm. So no, 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 I'm saved because the work has been done and that should drive me to get to work.
2: Yeah.
3: David Brooks, who's an author, and this is not like a distinctly Christian book, but he he wrote, he's written many books, uh, but in... I can't remember. If, anyway, the book I'm currently finishing is, is called Second Mountain. And it's more of like a life stage book of maturity and, and so, solid read. But in one of his writings, he talks about the difference in eulogy virtues and resume virtues. And it's really fascinating to think about it in light of what you're talking about. And I'm working this out in real time. But his argument is like, resume virtues are, here's what qualifies me.
2: Mm.
3: Eulogy virtues are, here are the things that I really cared about." And he's like, "The th- same things that you put on your resume are not the things that you won't said about you at your eulogy."
2: Mm.
3: And he's like, "So many so so often, take that and then put it in the conversation. So often we approach our relationship with God as though we're trying to provide him with resume virtues. And what he's saying is, no, 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 I took care of your resume. Jesus did all that. Hmm. Your resume is Jesus's resume. Hmm. Your your qualifications, Jesus did all that. So now you're free to live your life singularly focused on the eulogy, that he has now changed the virtues that matter in your life. And, And when you get to the end, what you want in your eulogy is for your eulogy to be Christ-likeness yeah. being commended.
0: Yeah, fruit Not, of the Spirit. Right? Me. Can you imagine?
3: Yeah. You're at your eulogy and everybody's talking about like your f- former points of employment and how big you built the business.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Who wants that?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Nobody wants that. Mm. What you want at your eulogy is like, character and compassion and kindness and even a secular world ultimately is crying out for christ in the eulogy bro
0: i've been to some we just
3: have a head start because christ been to some did all the sad
0: funerals bro yeah mm-hmm. I, I mean i've done some oh gosh and i will not preach dead person in heaven you know just for the sake of the family feeling good there but i ain't gonna just get up there and i mean there is a there's a significant moment of mourning there mm-hmm and, man, I, I can remember being at some where, where uh, this particular man, I didn't even know him. I just knew his daughter. And he just train wrecked his whole life, man. And the best thing they could think to say about this guy is is how much he liked Jolly Ranchers. And these guys would get up and talk about how much he liked Jolly Ranchers. and You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, God save me if at the end of my days, you know, the best thing somebody can come up with is, like, boy, he liked to hunt. You know, what mm-hmm. a – I mean, it was so eternally sad. It was so sad. And you could feel this, like, gap in the room. I mean, people weren't even doing the, like, he's in a better place based on the way this guy lived his life, you know? And, um, I mean, when Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in men's hearts, every person in that room felt like something was missing. And so after consulting with the family, too, I got up afterwards, even though I wasn't planning on it, and gave a gospel message of hope and eternity and Christ has created us to live for more than this. And if anybody would ever like to have that conversation, you know, I'd be happy to stick around. That kind of thing, because it was one of those sort of Mm -hmm. it is what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And the best this guy had was some of the temporary things that he enjoyed. Mm -hmm. It was it was sad.
3: Yeah, and it's not it's not that building a company or being a good hunter or any of those things are like Bad, But at the end, it's like, man, he was very successful in his professional endeavors and leveraged every ounce of energy and effort through all of those gifts and talents mm-hmm. so that others may know Christ, mm-hmm. so that others may experience God's love. So you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, what does it terminate on? Mm-hmm. That's what Paul's getting at. He's like, you've been now given this gift, and it just changes the virtues, mm-hmm. the target that you're shooting at. And that target is clearly defined by the New Testament and by mm-hmm. Christ. And we're like an arrow in flight. Like we are there, but we're still traveling there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so anyway. It's funny how you
1: can see things so much clearer in hindsight. And we and yet we spend a lot of time worrying about trying to see into the future,
0: you know, instead of just thinking about,
1: we'll understand when we look back.
0: Well, that's the difference. We're going to get into it this summer when James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Mm -hmm. But what most of us ask for is knowledge. Mm -hmm. And knowledge Mm -hmm. is what should I do next? And wisdom is who am I in light of who you are and the circumstances I find myself in? Mm -hmm. Those are very different things. Wisdom is applied knowledge to the current circumstances and situations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us don't ask for wisdom. A lot of us won't say, God, what should I do, A or B? And Mm -hmm. he's like, I may or may not tell you that. Mm -hmm. But what I want to do is give you, help you to be a wise person in regards Mm -hmm. of who I am, what the gospel says, and your role in the Great Commission. That's Mm -hmm. different than Mm -hmm. what's my next move. Yeah. Well, he says – in verse
1: 13, brothers, I do not consider it. I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. You talk about effort. You know, that's, that's some effort there. Tell us about those two verses, Pastor Britt.
3: Yeah, the one thing Paul says, the one thing I do, that's got a lot of Bible history in it. And it and it really strikes a unique chord at the Church of Eleven Twenty Two. If you just go back a few years, but
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: I'll I'll talk about the one thing while you prepare to talk about the is he the paper on which yeah yeah um but the one the phrase the one thing it pops up quite a few times. One is it pops up when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, and the rich young the rich young ruler's like I've done all these things. I've obeyed the law. I'm so, okay. Well there's one thing you lack. Like. Mm-hmm. One thing you like go and sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. He's like, man goes away sad. Mm-hmm. Mary and Martha. Martha's busy. He's Jesus says, Martha, you're busy and anxious. You got a lot of stuff. You're doing a lot of stuff. One thing is necessary. Mm-hmm. Right? The blind man in John nine. Jesus heals the blind man mm-hmm. and the Pharisees are coming around and they're like trying to get Jesus all twisted up and they keep trying to and the blind man's like look man I don't know about all the stuff y'all talking about one thing I know Mm -hmm. I was blind now I can see Mm -hmm. this phrase one thing it actually is like a progressive journey that Jesus is leading people onto what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call single-minded obedience Mm -hmm. Um, but before Bonhoeffer wrote it Uh, King David said it in Psalm 27. He said, one thing that I seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm -hmm. And so the singularity of the one, go all the way back to the Shema, and then I'll stop. The Lord our God, the Lord is... Mm -hmm. If you can see the one thing that's more valuable and more beautiful and more necessary than anything mm-hmm. which is the glory of God revealed through the person of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. If you can catch that one thing vision,
2: mm-hmm.
3: everything else is going to get in line uh, over time. So you led time. us through that well for many years, the one thing, right? And so for for those maybe those new new and new, the 1010 life, maybe the first like two-year mm-hmm. discipleship journey they've been with mm-hmm. us, just Walk us through the 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 Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yeah, equation. we did
0: a we did a two year discipleship journey called the One Initiative, and these things never go away. Like before that, we did Before All Things, and they stack mm-hmm. up on each other, right? So the first one was about about Christ being preeminent, that He is before all things, mm-hmm. and then the second one we did was is called the One Initiative, rooted in the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for listen, but it doesn't mean listen with your ears; it means hear and heed. It's like when your daddy would be like, boy, listen to me. He doesn't mean like, do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? He means I'm going to say words and then you're going to do something. Mm -hmm. And coming at it from a New Testament perspective, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He quotes the Shema. Mm -hmm. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the reason that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is because Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it doesn't mean like number one on a list of things. Mm -hmm. Echad is like like God is the paper on which you would write your list of things, that everything you do in your life would be integrated in such a way that all of your life is poured out in love for the one true God. Mm -hmm. In fact, in English, the word one, it's where we get the the term um, integrity, the root word is integer, which means one. It means like, I don't have a compartmentalized sections of life, like a work life and a and a play life and an online life. I just have this one life. And Jesus said, you can sum up the entire Old Testament this way, man. Are you loving the one God with your one and only life? Mm. And if so, then that love should spill out on your neighbor as yourself. Mm. And so that was the one initiative.
1: Mm. And I love that he connects us to maturity. In verse 15, let those of us who are... Mature thinking this way, you know. So, if you can, if you want to be mature, learn to be assured and yet press on towards the goal.
3: The the words, the phrase "press on" there, it actually means sweat. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's
0: like a gymnasium term.
3: Yeah, Mm. I sweat toward the goal of maturing in Christ.
0: So that's what I meant when I said. Like it's hard to be a Christian. It takes a lot of work to be a Christian. It takes none to become one. Mm -hmm. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by our works Mm -hmm. to become one. But then in Ephesians, but you have been saved for good works. Right. Now, I think, Vinky, this verse, I think, you know, Paul can get a little snarky. And I think that's what he's saying. He's like, some of you disagree with me, just give it a minute. You will agree with me. <laughs> right. Think about it for yeah. that. You know, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, f- think otherwise, God will reveal to you also. Like, <laughs> Just get it a minute, babies. You'll grow up. This I want to bring up something that y'all talked about a couple weeks ago. I wasn't here. I love this. Britt, you were preaching – <clears throat> and you talk about these three perspectives in your life that you have been growing through from duty to delight to design. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love it. And then either, uh, Ms. Jennifer or Kerrigan asked you a question when, and said something to the effect of, all right, what about when you don't feel like you're delighting in it? And I'm listening to the podcast in my truck driving and I started interjecting to the Conversation. This is where the word discipline comes in. I think, I think what one more D word the thing that weaves all of these together is discipleship, and the root word of discipleship is discipline. Hmm. And that means, okay regardless if I even feel dutiful to do this right now, regardless of if I feel the delight in doing what I'm supposed to do, and regardless of even when I understand God has designed me. Now, that's my, that's my like, best version of me when I am aligned with the Spirit of God in those areas. Mm-hmm. But I am a disciple of Jesus, which means he is my Lord, and sometimes by discipline, I just take steps of obedience in His mm-hmm. direction because He is my Lord, and I know that it is going to de- it is going to lead to these kind of things in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a part of like press on,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like even when you don't feel like it, man, mm-hmm. you get up and you go sweat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny the after that sermon,
3: a friend of mine, David, emails me uh, and says. He was a very encouraging email, but in the email, he, he he meant to say, I want to be discipled by you, but what he wrote was, I want to be disciplined by you, all right. and I just thought it was very, I same. thought it was funny, you know, and, uh, and it's like, it actually, like, it's all about perspective, I guess, and the <laughs> words you choose to use, you know, but... It, um, it is the same. Yeah, it it is, and we live, we're so rebellious by nature as sinful creatures, and we're so hell-bent on personal autonomy that we hear the word discipline, and we think of it like a a teacher smacking our hand with a ruler in school, and really, but really what it is is like the healthier version of it, and this is what Paul's talking about, it's way more like having a personal trainer that cares about outcomes and cares about growth and cares about fitness. Yeah. Helping you pl- discipline yourself in around your eating, discipline yourself around the right ways to get your heart rate jacked, the Correct. right amount of, e- the right exercises to do in order to become this thing that, that you're capable of becoming, right? Mm-hmm. Not stop this and start that. It's way discipline is way more of a, a plan realized, over time through strategic intentionality. Does that make sense? Not just always course correction.
0: Yeah, yeah. Discipline is not bust and punish. Mm. Discipline means that there is correct and redirect. Now, there may be pain and there may be a smack of a hand there. For sure, that might be the beginning of it. But if there's not, then education Mm. or... I, I you're not just in trouble cuz you did bad but now let me help you understand how to take correct steps from here it is not discipline
1: mm-hmm. it implies learning really i mean like right. you're shaping you're shaping and learning correct your life and your your character really you know, the disciple is a learner and an imitator you know which leads us to the next point there and he says brothers join in imitating me Ooh. and that's a challenge that's a challenging Verse. I mean, could you could you say that? Would you say that?
0: He also says it in First Corinthians eleven one. Yes.
3: I've always struggled hard with those the Paul's words there. Personally, that's a hard one for me to like get my head around. You know, because you know
0: you mm-hmm. same. Yeah, same. I don't. There are so many. I don't know what I would ask anybody to imitate my work ethic. <laughs> I don't know, like, but as a as a back to the Shema, as a total human man, mm. um, HB said it so well. You know who the worst sinner you know is? Mm-hmm. You, because <laughs> I've heard some things about you, Vinky. Mm-hmm. I know me. Mm-hmm. I know the sins that didn't even like make it to fruition, right? But according to the Sermon on the Mount, they were already sins in my brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't. I mean, maybe imitate me in understanding what a sinner I am in need of a savior. Yeah, I think that's part of what he's talking about. Yeah, you know. But I, I think he is putting himself forward
3: as an example hmm. to follow. In, and and the, the the interesting thing about it is, though, it's hard for me to say. I can't deny the impact of me looking to other people in my life and imitating things that mm-hmm. they're doing yeah. and its impact on me. I can't deny it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I've never had someone just grab me and be like imitate me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um but I know I can name hand like your your preaching not just in gift cuz so much of that is a gift from God, but the way that you think about the scriptures, the weight in which you carry the scriptures, the the ability to divide and discern the Word of God. I've grown more as a preacher under you as a preacher or just a Bible thinker and lover under you as my pastor than any other pastor I've ever had and I have great ones. so like the way in which you approach God's word, I want to imitate that and I'm trying I try to to do that you know I think about um, the way that my father disciplined and discipled me and my brother, right? Like, I hope my kids feel the same way in their approach to parenting that I feel about the way that my dad, I'm trying to imitate him to the best of my ability in so many areas as a father. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, there are different places in my life where there's certainly people that, like people who, there there there's there's folks that are just, Um, I think about Pastor Trey Brunson. He's so wildly empathetic in any situation. You know, he just, his, his God is, I just look at the way he looks in people's eyes and hear the way he prays for people. And I can just hear his heart like rending on behalf of others. And I'm just like, gosh, I want to care like that. (laughs) I mean, really, Mm -hmm. you know, my wife, like the way my wife handles details and the way she pursues every day with intentionality and grace and a plan. And not a whole lot of life just happens to my wife, that my wife is happening Mm -hmm. to life intentionally without ever seeking to be noticed or applauded. Like Mm -hmm. So when you really look around your life, God's good to us in a body That even though Paul's saying, imitate me, and I think he's pretty much saying, imitate me in passion, in mission, in zeal, in practice. In maturity. um, I think one of the beauties of the local church is that as it's grown from the days of Paul to now, is that there's lots of folks that we can grab onto and, and, and say... This part of how you're walking out your faith, I want to imitate that, and it encourages me. And mm-hmm. I want to be like that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so even sense. though it's hard for me to say, I appreciate that it is true nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So,
1: and he says, imitate me along with others who followed the example. This picture came to my mind, and I wonder if this tells us a little something about this. Like, so, like, a, imagine like a little kid or somebody who's learning something for the first, like, learning something, like really learning something for the first time you would say, hey, just watch me. Watch me do it, you know? And I wonder if you could almost say, hey, be that kind of a humble learner. Like if your kid's like trying to learn how to do their, their letters, and you're just like, no, imitate me. Hold it like this. Hold your pen like this, you know? Like that's the kind of teacher he's saying that he's gonna be and the kind of learner he wants you to be too, which is just like, do what I do.
0: I think it's a, it also talks about the kind of discipler that you're called to be. Yeah. Um, I have lived with the knowledge and pressure of that verse for 30 years. Mm. So at 19 years old, I go on staff at a church and I'm teaching high school kids mm-hmm. every Wednesday night.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Other than illness or the occasional vacation, I've taught the Bible every week for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I have, there's no way you can stand in front of people, open the Bible. And them call you pastor and not realize there are some people that are thinking that verse on you, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, <clears throat> I mean, it's a thing, man. Yeah. But it is the primary way I disciple people. Britt, this is the nicest things a couple of weeks ago about, I don't even think about it that way, about me discipling you. Because I don't really have like necessarily like a strategy of here's how I'm going to make a disciple, I don't whatsoever you guys know this because you're on staff. my whole like discipleship philosophy is just to get close and just let's just see what happens
2: mm-hmm.
0: like i you know it's not like me and you sit down and be like, all right, we're going to spend twenty five percent of our time talking about the bible twenty five percent about marriage twenty five about parent well, that's not what we do whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I just <clears throat> feel like. Older Christians get around Christians just like in the next generation, and you just, hopefully some of it gets on you.
2: Mm.
0: Not And then I think you should, re, we should read, I should read this verses, and then like reread verse 12 again. The moment you say imitate me as I imitate Christ, then you go right back to not that I have already attained this. I got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But the one thing maybe you could imitate is me stumbling, falling down, Repenting and knowing that when I fall down, I fall down on the grace of God, and it is Him that lifts me up. Mm -hmm. And so, if you want to see a sinner in the hand of an angry God, who's by God's grace He saved Him and redeemed Him and using Him, you can follow me around, and you're going to see a lot of that.
2: Mm -hmm. Because
0: you're not going to see perfection, because I've not attained that yet. And and so, I that is the way I. So I just, I mean, I. Right now, I'm discipling some guys. They're all on staff. I just got—I just came to the realization a couple of years ago. I was like, I'm not really in a Bible study. I'm—I do this. I teach the Bible. We study the Bible. But so I just invited four guys to just meet me in my office, and we just study the Bible together, you know. And then there's some other guys that we just do life together, and hopefully it—it it sort of rubs off. That's Coach Bully, who discipled more young men in and around the Low Country of South Carolina than anybody I ever know. He his discipleship strategy was boy getting the truck. That's just what he'd do. He'd just pull up to your house, and he had some bird dogs he needed to move, and you would just go do that with him. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And this is what he was living out. He's like, I'm just, y'all just going to be around me. Mm -hmm. And then we all wanted to be like him. I mean, he was like, you remember those guys, right? When you were growing up, I'm sure, in your towns, there were guys just bigger than life. I mean, your dad was one. You were around some giants at your church, too. And you just wanted to be like them. I think that's a part part of it. And I don't think it ever goes away. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's wild, man. It's like Christian
3: integrity, like Christ centered integrity. Um, the, the the effect of that over time on your relationships, and on one hand, you say you don't have a a strategy, and, and I and you're right, but on the other hand you never are not looking around your life in a season saying who has God put here for sure. that I can join in the work that he's doing in their life mm-hmm. you know and you're so strategic you know as wired by God you can say whatever you want to when you and me met 10 years ago you had a destination in mind for me a 5% of which i'm even aware of sure right um, and so there is like a long play at work in regard but you can't make those things true. All you can do is like move closer and see what God does. And 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 uh that said, the thing the impact of Christian integrity in a community, whether it be a home or a workplace or it it's it in and of itself isn't just being an integrity-driven Christian in and of itself is not the same thing as holistic discipleship, but mm-hmm. it is a significant part of it over time. Mm-hmm. And the thing about integrity is like when you have it, it matters mo- far more than you're aware. And when you don't, it's really hard to count the cost of having lost it on, on its impact. Does that make sense?
0: Dude, I, I was with coach Lee in Dylan and I was like 10 years old, fifth, fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that. Um, I wasn't even a believer yet. And uh, I was helping him do some stuff. And we went to Walmart in his little Toyota. And we went and bought a new gas can or something like that. And we get back into the truck and he's counting his change. And they had given him one extra dollar. And he's like, boy, run that back in there. And I was like, it's a dollar. Like, Mm -hmm. and God loves you. Keep the dollar, man. He's blessing. You know, that's all my little fifth grader thoughts are that. I will never forget he's like, "Ain't my dollar, take that dollar back in there and give it back to him. I'm telling you what there are times where even even i'm like here and I'm you know like you get petty cash for some trip and you're coming back and you're like getting it all right and do it all I can remember is is be I want to be right to the very penny because I can just remember that that mm-hmm. influential time, and I don't think Coach Lee would have called that like a discipleship moment. But it has impacted me for my whole life. Mm. Like, what a man of character he would be to Mm. just give him back that dollar. It's not my dollar. Mm. I think one of the things we can
3: draw from Paul's exhortation is, like, this happens all the time. And I don't say this in any spirit of condemnation as much as it's just the reality, like, something happens in someone's life. They make really bad choices, they have a lack of integrity. They're not walking in Christian integrity. They're not straining toward the goal. They get mm-hmm. self-focused and they make a, a, a moral decision or a relational decision or whatever. It plays out through money or plays out through sex or whatever. And relationships get broken and people get hurt. And then they a, a month goes by, two months go by. It'd be like, well, I said I was sorry. Can we not just move on? And it's like... I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, like the the work of pressing on for you now mm-hmm. is the pressing on of restoration and reparation, and it's hard, sweat filled work to, re- to to restore what's been broken. There's no condemnation vertically, correct, but horizontally
0: there are consequences. There
3: are consequences, and it's going to take a lot of straining and a lot of sweating to repair mm-hmm. that thing that's been broken in order to be able. Do you see what I'm saying? And yeah. so on both sides, integrity is so pivotal. And Paul, who other than Christ Jesus himself walked in higher integrity than the Apostle Paul? I mean, that dude, that's when he did the whole run of I'm the Jew of Jews. Mm-hmm. By any count, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter whether it's secular, whether it's Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. By anybody's measure, I'm a man of integrity and character by any standard of the measure. And I count all that as rubbish compared to the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, which we talked about. We studied that text last week. But.
0: Yeah, but if you remember, he didn't say he was perfect. He said he was blameless. Right. These are different things because, hmm. because the old covenant made provision. Because if he kept all the law, well, what? Half the law is about what to do when you jack the law up. So if you don't break a law, then there's half the law you can't keep. So he's not saying that he never broke a law. He's saying, I did down to, the, to every jot and tittle, every direction of every sacrifice right. you were supposed to make when I sinned. Therefore, currently, I am blameless. Not perfect. See the difference? So he's saying, I kept the law to the best of my ability, and even when I fell, which I, everybody knew I would, then I kept every sacrificial command to make sure that it was covered mm-hmm. under the old covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, going back to the imitation thing, it, this is this is funny. Based on what we're talking about, I actually did that. So I I saw that you were doing a group, a Bible study group, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that. So I actually did imitate you, and I have like six guys that were studying <laughs> <in> the Bible. <laughs> so I didn't even plan to say that, but congratulations. Uh, he he contrasts this imitation idea though with in verse 18. There's many who walk as enemies of the cross, and then says, crazy. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Mm.
2: Dude, okay, so who, is, no, who,
1: who's this, he talking about? This is like,
0: well, who? Oh, so.
1: <laughs> I mean, every time I get so at that dinner, I'm like, oh, their God's <laughs> a belly. <bit>, I can't. <laughs> All right. So
0: it's, it, it is a recipe for today. Like, he reverse engineers this thing. I mean, there's not just those things. You know, their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory. You know what the word glory in Greek means? It means to stick your neck out, mm. it may, which means like like to brag. That's what it means. So they brag in their shame. Mm. That means like we're throwing parades for things you ought to throw a funeral for. Mm-hmm. That's what that means. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's, I don't, that's as far as I'll go there. Okay. Uh, with set on earthly things. Mm. All right. And then he gets into us. So, all right, so who is he talking about? He doesn't specifically say it. I thought about this. I'm praying about this. I'm trying to figure it out. Could it be um, his brothers that he's crying for in Romans 10? That's an option. Hmm. Or maybe it's the Judaizers that he's warning the church at Philippi of in the beginning of chapter 3. I tend to think it's people that at one time walked with him. It's, it's like, because the people... Yeah, he says,
1: with tears. He says, right, I tell right, you right. about this people with tears.
0: But he did cry in Romans 9 for his brothers yeah. that he would he might be accursed that they would be saved. Mm-hmm. And it's with tears that he's begging God to save his Jewish brethren. <clears throat> but I don't, for whatever reason, in reading this, I get the sense of like, man, we used to do church together, and now they have moved to like a jesus plus something or maybe they just got all excited about this movement and now man they're just living in debauchery Mm. you know but it seems like at some point they were together on this thing
2: Mm
1: -hmm. yeah is the god god is their belly is that talking specifically about gluttony or is it about appetites general what do you think
0: i think it's just lust of the flesh yeah Mm. i mean this is like it could be cookies or cocaine or Hookers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, man, yeah. it's like I deserve to feel this way, mm-hmm. and my my flesh determines my activity, mm-hmm. not nothing else.
3: It's the insatiable appetite for more for me.
0: Mm. We're such
1: creatures of habit. I think about that a lot because the thing that separates us, you know, animals just do what they're instinctively driven to do, right? And also, the Bible will tell us people without Christ <coughs> do it what they're instinctively driven to do. And so, whenever there's a habit being formed, and you start looking at your life and you say, okay, am I doing that just because my appetite says do it? And I just listen right away? Or do I call it into question because I'm not ruled by my
3: appetite? So, well, one of the best, go ahead. No, you go. One of the best, one of the best discussions or, or explanations of Imago Day being created in the image of God actually runs off that basest instinct argument that what does it mean to be created in the image of God? It means that you're you're created with the ability to make designated choices Hmm. and that not to not just act on instinct Hmm. and that to be fully restored unto that image in and through Christ Jesus gives you the ability to make sharper, better, more God- God-centered, god glory, truly fulfilling decisions yeah. that prior to, even though there's still a shattered image in all of humanity, that those decisions can never be truly fulfilling, separated from Christ, mm-hmm. and that they will terminate on the flesh and always leave you wanting. And so mm-hmm. that so much of that's Imago Day. that what separates us from the animals is the ability to make designated choices mm-hmm. and that the, the power of that is fully realized in and through the freedom we have to live under self control and the control
0: of Christ mm. via the Holy Spirit, you know. Check out this language, though, man. You want some hard language, man. There are some people that walk as enemies of the cross. And again, he, rever- he begins with the end in mind. So if you do it in reverse so that you end at the end, um, When your minds are set on earthly things, you're an enemy of the cross. Mm. When you glory in your shame, when you brag on things that you should be ashamed of, Mm. like the guy that claims to be a Christian and brags about sleeping with his girlfriend who's not his wife, you should be completely and totally ashamed of yourself. Mm. When you brag about your abortion in this world, you should be ashamed of yourself. And when you glory in that, you're an enemy of the cross. When, when your appetites rule you, you're an enemy of the cross. Hmm. And when you're an enemy of the cross, your end is destruction. Hmm. But then you could put this on the reverse too. Okay, so if you're not an enemy of the cross, but you're a lover of the cross, you're surrendered to the cross, you're a friend of the cross, then your end is not destruction. Your end is glory with him. And your God is God not your belly, and you glory in the glory of God. You glory in obedience. Mm. Like you, if you boast in anything, you boast in the cross. And your mind is not set on earthly things. Your mind is set on the things above. Your mind is set on the cross. Mm. And so I think this is a pretty good definition of what he's going to talk about next, that when you're a citizen of his kingdom, then you're not an enemy of the cross, and you're the, you do the opposite of those things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we live in a world that is trying to drag us to do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he he brings up that
1: citizenship idea, and so in chapter one we talked about it. That is like behave as a, a worthy citizen or live a manner worthy of the gospel. And now he's talking about heavenly citizenship, and, and, and this crazy. By the same power that enables him to subject all things to himself is going to transform your lowly body. Like Pastor Joby, explain what that. What does that mean? What's he talking about there? Um,
0: man for the over 40, almost 50 crown. <laughs> no aches, no pains, no Advil. <laughs> it is, man, that we we have a glorified body. Mm. Um, like his, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, that we get caught up in that all things. Mm. That God's point and purpose for you is for his glory. And I, I think, see, all right, so he ends with your minds are set on earthly things. All right, parenthetically speaking, if I could tell you what I think Paul is thinking, because remember, Paul is trained at Tarsus, and so he's a lawyer, and so mm-hmm. you know he does this didactic teaching, like in Romans, like he 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 knows the questions you're going to ask when he writes a doctrine, so then he answers them in the next section. So if you were to go, okay, Paul, <clears throat> so then what does it mean to set my mind on heavenly things? He's like, oh, let me tell you what's coming, mm-hmm. and then he just begins to like wax poetically about the coming Christ and your glorified body so you don't have to succumb to your temporary appetites because they're just that. Mm -hmm. And what's incredible about our glorified selves, man, is all the things that tempt us and trick us in the temporary, God fulfills in the eternal. Mm -hmm. Like lust of the flesh. Oh, you want to feel good? How about a banqueting table at at the... Wedding Supper of the Lamb where nobody's hungry and there's room for everybody who believes. How about that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You want some stuff? The the lust of the eyes? Do you want some stuff? How about a room in your father's house and they got so much gold there they use it as pavement? Like Mm -hmm. you got crowns that you can lay at the feet of Jesus. You're 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 dressed in the righteousness of Christ. You think those pants make you feel good? Imagine putting the the robe of righteousness on. Oh, and you got pride of life. You want to be somebody? How about co-heir with Christ of all that he has? That's mm-hmm. what's crazy. Like Jesus is the fulfillment of the lures that the enemy throws at us. Mm-hmm. And, and when, and so, I mean, Paul, carried along by the Holy Spirit, I think that's what he's trying to do. When you get your eyes up above the horizon mm-hmm. and your end is not destruction, your end is eternity with him, mm-hmm. then you don't have to be driven by your appetites because you know he's going to fulfill them. You're not going to, you're going to glory in his glory. Mm. And you're going to be, you're going to be so heavenly minded that you are earthly good because Mm. you want to do what Jesus said and Mm. bring some of that down here. It's almost like for
1: Paul, the resurrection is the embodiment of of all the rest of it. I mean, he says to the Corinthians, if there's no resurrection... We're to be pitied more than anyone anyone else were to be pitied.
3: Your sins are not forgiven. Yeah. If Christ does not raise from the dead. (laughs) That's what Paul says. I didn't just make that up. Correct. I would just offer the anyone tuning in a couple of scripture references to read in your own time Mm -hmm. that from Paul, I think, that further unpacks. It's Second Corinthians five and then First Thessalonians four and five.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He talks about this transform, this full transforming process on the day of the Lord mm-hmm. and what will happen in the resurrection of the body. And, and it just, you put all those texts together and you get a better or maybe a, a more full version mm-hmm. of what he's dabbing his toe in here in, in Philippians 3. Yeah. We, we're not going to get into all that now, but just for your own time and reading. Yeah.
1: Well, maybe we wrap up here. I mean, so I... We didn't go through chapter four, but in my Bible, the pericope continues through four, one, And he says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. So I think therefore will be the resurrection. Stand firm, therefore, because of it. So Pastor Joby, why don't you wrap us up with uh, talking a little bit about like, how does it give, how does the reality of the resurrection give us hope and allow us to stand firm?
0: So there, uh, um, so stand firm are fighting words, or mm. work words, or effort words. My beloved are receiving words. Mm. Grace words. This is the, this I mean, only the Apostle Paul carried along by the Spirit of God, would, in this conversation about work and effort and grace, there are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. The reason that you can stand firm, fighting against the enemy putting out great effort to, to mm-hmm. put on the full armor of God, to take up the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, pray without ceasing. The reason you can fight like that is because you have been loved. It has been proven once and for all at the cross. And the story ain't over. Hmm. Just as he left, he said he was coming back. Hmm. And so we stand and await that day, knowing from this day until that day, we are the beloved. He has already lavished his love upon us. We are his children. He has called his children to fight as his army. Mm. And it's with that confidence that we go to war against the enemy awaiting that day. Mm. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up willingly for us
1: all, will he not also graciously give us all things? All things. Mm. Amen. Anything you'd add, Pastor Britt?
3: To God be the glory. Amen. Deep and rich. Mm. Thankful to have these conversations with you, brothers. Won't you pray, Pastor?
0: <clears throat> Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, Lord, we await the day. Yes. We await the day when uh, the clouds rip open, the trumpet blasts mm-hmm. that You return in Your glory, and nothing will hinder that. Mm-hmm. And God, from this day to that day, may we be loved. Mm-hmm. May we receive the love that You, the Great I Am, has lavished upon Your children. And God, may we stand firm. May we take a stand against the, against the evil ones and the, and the schemes of this world. God, may we stand firm on the good news of the solid rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may those two things continuously work interchangeably in our lives for us to with great humility be able to look at others around us and say, I haven't already attained it. I got a long way to go, but I am following in the footsteps of Jesus. And so if you follow me, you'll be following him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening (laughs) to the podcast. The end.